Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Millennial Manhood. This is your host, Yavitsa Djurjevic. Uh, today, I've got the pleasure of uh, speaking with Rafael Chiazzo, the author of The Millennial Playbook. Uh, Rafael, how's it going? It's going well. How, how's everything with you? Uh, you know, it's been uh, it's been uh, interesting. Had a couple interviews this week. I've done a quite a bit of research and a lot of work. So uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation. I've I've been reading your book and I've been I've been thoroughly enjoying it. And uh, why don't you give the audience just a brief uh, background on on your story and and where you come from? Sure. Um, so I was actually born in Europe. Uh, I was born in Porto Venone, Italy, which is in northeast Italy, uh, to a Puerto Rican father and a Italian mother. Uh, they met while my dad was over there as an Air Force. Uh, he was an Air Force pediatrician, and he met my mom on the Air Force base. And they had me and my brother. And throughout my early life, I traveled around Europe. I lived in countries such as Germany and Belgium before moving to the U.S. when I was about fourteen. Uh, when I moved to the U.S. around fourteen, I went to school in Southern Arizona uh, and really found an interest in just engineering and and different sciences. And when I went to college, that's what I decided to study. So I studied engineering in college. And while I was in college around sophomore year, I started getting really interested in entrepreneurship, like many millennials do. And so I decided to start a pasta business. And so I was there, I worked on that pasta business for three or four years uh, while I was in college. And I eventually decided to uh, start that business. uh, And I became part of a social incubator in Phoenix. And I worked with the incubator for about eight to nine months. And when I really decided that it wasn't of interest of me anymore, because I, I really found that food wasn't my passion, uh, I started looking for different opportunities. Uh, and during this time of looking for different opportunities, I was talking with friends and, and different family members uh, around my same age. And I noticed a trend of just people not really knowing what to do, kind of lost. And I started getting the the germination of an idea to start writing a book related to five key principles that I thought were most important for millennials in order to achieve success in life. And those were the personal development, professional development, exercise, healthy eating habits, and finances. And so when I finally got my job at the current company I'm working for, uh, it kind of was just a germination process in my, he- in my head for a decent amount of time. And, and about two years into my role at the company, I decided, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm just going to write this book. Um, and what really came down to was writing 500 words a day for about a eight month period. And I was just consistent with about writing every single day. And over time it, it, it turned into a book. And so it was pretty, pretty unique what can happen if you actually dedicate a certain amount of time every day to doing something. Yeah. You talk about, you know, creating healthy habits in the book and, uh, you know, discipline and, and the impact you can have. You also just side note, I was in Belgium like two mm-hmm. months ago. One oh, nice. of my favorite places ever. It was beautiful. Yeah, but, it's gorgeous. Yeah, I digress. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, you also mentioned the book, The Compound Effect, and the impact that it had on you um, just from a personal development standpoint. Talk to me a little bit more about that, how reading that book impacted you and and then really prompting you to write your book and and how it's changed your life from a, from a um, you know, long-term view. Sure. I mean, the the compound effect, it, for those of you who haven't read it, it, it is a phenomenal book and I highly encourage you to read it if you get a chance. Uh, it The idea is extremely simple and maybe some people who read the book kind of overlook that idea because they're like, oh, it's way too simple. It's not, 
it, it doesn't really add value. It's not one of those things that's kind of like a sexy co- concept, but what he really talks about in the book is that if you just dedicate a certain amount of time to doing something every day and be consistent with that, you can achieve absurd results in just a relatively short period of time. So for example, in, in the case where I wrote my book, uh, I made it my goal to write 500 words a day. And for the first like month, it was, I mean, it was brutal, right? Um, I, most of the content that I wrote sucked. It wasn't very good. And I only kept maybe 100 words of the content over the first like two weeks. But I started getting better as a writer. And I started getting better and better and better. And then I'd get in these grooves where I'd be writing like 1500 words a day. And they were all it was all good content. So it's just being consistent with something, regardless of what you decide to do. If you're consistent, and you, you push forward and push through the 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 difficulties that you're going to face uh, i mean you can achieve pretty much anything you set your mind to was there anything that surprised you in the in the writing process that maybe was easier than you expected or more difficult than you expected uh in the case of i mean when when you first look and say okay i, I want to write a book you look at all these other books around you and you're like how am i ever going to be able to write 3 to 400 pages right I mean, I, I, at least that's how, how I thought. I was like, there's no way I can actually come up with that much stuff. I feel like I can only write maybe two or three pages because, I mean, in college, I think the biggest paper I had to write, and granted, I was a, I was a more technical uh, major, but the most I had to write was maybe an eight-page paper. And that was brutal for me because I did it in like one sitting because as as <laughs> as most of that's us- That's a very engineering thing to do. It's like, not even, it's just like, like, you just wait till the last minute to do it and you're like, all right, I got to pound this out. But- uh, yeah, yeah, it was it was interesting. Uh, but what I found was that if I just consistently sit down, I mean, it's going to be tough some days because I really won't know what to write. But as long as I get the, that word count, then I can just move on with my day. And then I can come back maybe two or three days later, and I, I read what I wrote maybe two or three days before, and I'm like, wow, actually, I, there's 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 a germination of an idea here, and you expand on that. Hmm, that's really interesting. So when you say you dedicate and you, you can move on with your day, I know a lot of people have thought about creative. Um, projects such as writing a book or such as, you know, starting a company or, or anything that really requires you to take nothing and turn it into something in some capacity. Um, I, I don't really know how to frame the question I'm trying to ask. I, I talk about a germination of an idea. It's just hanging out in my head and I'm trying to figure out how to articulate mm-hmm. it. But I just thought of this. How, how would you um, structure basically your day around around that would you i know so one of the things you talk about in your book is you know having a daily routine and one of the most impactful things you could do is waking up early and going to sleep late and and a lot of people everybody feels like they're not caught up everybody feels incredibly busy everybody feels like there's constantly uh, something pulling and fighting for their attention how would you help people how would you encourage people no matter what, whether it's writing a book or whatever it is, to structure their day. And, and it's actually a good opportunity for you to elaborate a little bit more on that concept from your book um, to achieve the goals that they're, they're trying to achieve. Sure. No, I think that's a phenomenal question. Uh, I think, like you said, starting off, it really it comes down to finding a little bit of time in the day uh, to be able to do what you need to do uh, for the day. Uh, what, one thing that I talk about in the book is, is waking up earlier. Uh, one of the reasons I say waking up earlier is because generally in the morning, that's that's when you're clearest, your mind's clearest. And if you give yourself enough time in that in the morning in order to put in some some different beneficial routines, you really don't have to do that many. You don't really have to do that much. So for example, you work out 30 minutes every morning. 
I mean, that that's such an that that'll impact your day throughout the day. You know, like you'll you'll have more energy, you'll you'll be able to perform better at work. Um, and another strategy that I don't necessarily talk about in this current book, but the the next book that I'll be talking about has to do with having a wall calendar. And that's what I do is I have a wall calendar where I write out the three top things that I want to get done in the morning. And so every single day I just have a check box that I just check off every time I do accomplish that particular task. And it's, it's been great because it gives you the satisfaction of just being able to check off that box on your wall calendar. And over, over time, as you uh, start checking off more of those boxes, you'll, you'll start thinking, well, I don't want to break the chain. And so you just keep going and going and going. And that'll help as well. So that's kind of like another strategy you can utilize. Yeah, you really start almost depending on that dopamine kicking mm-hmm. in from you checking something off. Uh, I read something uh, not too long ago. I think it was GM. I'm not 100% sure. It was around 100 years ago. Somebody was trying to figure out, a manager at a plant was trying to figure out how to make his employees more uh, efficient. And you know, this was way back in the day. So there's they're still trying to figure out certain things when it comes to uh, – factories and assembly lines and things like that. And and what he came up with was that every employee had a list of things to do and they ranked the things that they needed to do from most important to least important. And they had to go in order. Um, once they got done with the first thing, they went to the second thing, et cetera. And if they got to the end of the day and they weren't done, they moved those things to the top of the list for the next day. And then they would add on the most important things after that for the following day. And they would just follow the Mm -hmm. cycle. And I don't remember the exact number, but within five years, production within the company went through the absolute roof. And I've actually actually read that and I started using that in my personal life. And I can personally say it's one of the most genius concepts I've ever come across. So it's it's not it's similar to what you're talking about, you know, having things that you check off, but even having a structure to those things is, at least for me, I've found is is quite beneficial. Exactly. And it's not something that's, that's, I don't know how to say it, but it's not something that's difficult, like super hard and and very difficult to implement, right? It's, it's, It's a very simple concept. And I feel like a lot of people try to find that next sexy pill to take or that next solution for something that, that is, that is really in depth and, and, and harder to not necessarily harder to implement, but it's, it's, it, they, they don't really look at the simple concepts and say, this is really what can change your life, you know? Yeah. Well, how did, did it change your life? Well, I mean, it allowed me a, to accomplish more of what I wanted to accomplish. And it, it opened up my eyes to a, a, a new way of doing things, you know? So for, for the last 22, 23 years before I actually started this particular routine, I mean, I, I, I don't feel like I had accomplished as much as I had over the course of just the last three or four years because of the fact that I had these basic routines in place that have allowed me to expand my horizons. Um, like just in the last few years, I've been able to write two books. Um, I, I'm going to release the next book pretty pretty soon here. Uh, I started a YouTube channel and uh, I've written 50 or 60 unique blog posts. Uh, I've spoken to thousands of students and, and professionals across the country. Uh, just just spreading that that message, and it's it's been a unique experience. But that's I think a big reason why I've been able to do that is because of those just routines that I perform every day. Um, and yeah, that's that's the main reason I think that having routines in your in your day to day life is extremely important. Yo, what are you? What's what's your next book going to be on? So the books I'm going to have six total books in the Millennial Playbook series, and each 
each book is going to elaborate on one of the key concepts talked about in the first book, which is uh, personal development, professional development, exercise, healthy eating habits, and finances. So the next book is actually focused on the concept of personal development. And it talks about different concepts such as developing positive relationships, achieving happiness in life, um, bookending your days is one of the big concepts we talk about. And then also gaining confidence. How do you gain confidence in the workplace? How do you get confidence in your personal life? Which is a very important topic in particular when we're talking about our generation because I feel like a lot of times uh, we are kind of lost in certain certain capacities. And, and, and when you feel lost, confidence kind of wavers. And I think it's important in any setting to be able to be extremely confident in what you do. Oh, yeah. Well, the first, literally the first sentence of your book is after after the intro is millennials often get a bad rap. So, you know, you talk about developing those personal relationships. Elaborate a little bit more on that. What are some of the key concepts that you found for young people um, and, and, you know, mentioning being lost and and needing to build those personal relationships in in order to find happiness or to find yourself or to. Uh, build that confidence. What are what are some of the key points there? Because we've got the the habits that we're building, or the conversation we've had about habit building, but talk about relationship building. Yeah, I think that's extremely important, especially if you want to achieve a certain level of success in your life. I mean, you got to surround yourself with people who are going places and are doing things that you want to achieve. And so, one of some of the concepts that I talk about in the next book is really focusing on surrounding yourself with people who who are focused on personal development. So joining growth-focused organizations like Toastmasters, um, reaching out to community organizations where community leaders are. Um, these, these are individuals who uh, want to help others grow. These are individuals who have started their own businesses. These are individuals who are leaders within the community. But just getting the opportunity to be mentored by them or surround yourself with, with people like that is extremely important. Uh, and and I encourage anyone really to do it. I mean, if you can att- attend networking events where these people attend and just consistently show up and and get yourself out of your comfort zone a little bit and and start talking to these individuals, I mean that that can drastically improve the the long term trajectory of your life. Yeah, elaborate a little bit more about getting yourself out of the comfort zone. Sure. Uh, so I don't know. In in my in my sense, uh, I, I tended to be an introvert when I was younger. Uh, I was definitely mm-hmm. more of a thinker. I would sit and 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 read a lot. I would I would always be doing things that that were more computational and more focused on on improving myself individually. But as I what I found was that when I moved to the United States and I didn't know anyone, I had to get out of my comfort zone in order to meet people. Because it, as you know, I mean, you were were you you were born in Europe, correct? Yes. Yeah. So I mean, it's a, l- a little bit different of a culture. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. So it was it was definitely a, a tough adjustment at first, but being able to just reach out to people and, and talk to people and 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 make friends with other individuals. I mean, I was able to get out of my comfort zone um, in the sense of in a professional setting. I mean, just going to these networking events is what I, one of the things that I encourage people to do. Even if you're not really if you're an introvert um, like like I was, I, I think it's important in order to just acclimate yourself to being around these individuals who are really focused on their career growth and their career traje- trajectory and just talking to them and, and seeing where it takes you, you know? Yeah, I would I would encourage people to do that as well. I think that's the number one thing that people can do to develop in general. If you're comfortable, something is something has gone wrong almost. Um you know, I and I I don't mean go on fear factor. Oh sure. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe if you if you feel like you don't have the personal relationships that you think you should have or 
maybe you've moved into a new city. Millennials are quite mobile from that standpoint. People are moving all the time and, and you're not maybe making friends as easily as you were in college or, you know, whatever it may be. I've talked about this with one of my previous guests about how there used to be social clubs and bowling leagues and church and things like that for, for young folks to really build a robust social network. And those things don't really exist to the degree that they used to exist, but maybe back in the fifties or sixties or seventies or whenever. So creating that robust social network and the beauty of being an adult, in my opinion, when it comes to friends and you've got some choice as a child to an extent, but not really. Uh, but as an adult, you really do get to choose who your friends are and who the people you are you surround yourself with. And a rising tide lifts all boats. So that's, um, I think that's an, a really impactful aspect of, of what you're doing with, with your mission. But I wanted to go back to you know growing up in Europe and then coming to the States. How do you feel growing up in another culture shaped your worldview and um really your development as a young millennial male sure uh i mean as as you may know just growing up in in a uh, in particular in in the european environment and in particular in, in an italian environment it's, it's very family centric so i was always mm-hmm. every summer i'd be at my grandparents house and they they were essentially like my my initial role models and my grandfather was a very hard-nosed italian man uh, he was he grew up pretty much in World War II. He he was at sixteen when when World War II ended, and when World War II ended, there wasn't many jobs in Italy. So what happened was he actually went to Australia and became like an indentured servant for two years in order to gain his residency in in, in Australia. Wow! And yeah, it's it's a crazy story, man. I'm telling you. Hold on, they so still he, had indentured servants in before. Oh yeah, before, oh, yeah man. Yeah, so wow. they pay your t- they paid your ticket to go to go to to go to Australia, and then you pretty much work for the government. They provide you provided you with food and, and shelter, but it wasn't the great greatest accommodations, and there was a lot of discrimination at the time, in particular, in, and particularly in in Australia because it was a very uh, closed society. Hmm. So he went through a lot of discrimination and a lot of difficulties, uh, but he eventually was able to gain his his citizenship, not his citizenship, but his residency in in Australia, and he lived there, and he met my grandmother, who's Australian. And she had my mom and my dad, my uncles, and they eventually moved back to Italy. But yeah, just just the, just the experiences he's gone through, and just 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 sitting around the t- dinner table with him and and my grandparents, just recounting all these stories about the past. I mean, it's it's it was very eye opening, and it really put my my position in perspective. Um, just just the just the benefits and the and the and the privileges that I've been afforded in my life. Uh, Kind of, hum, kind of humbled you, you know, just because you 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 see what they've gone through, you've seen what they've had to sacrifice in order to put you in the position that you're in today, and that was something that was I was I was extremely grateful for. Um, and not only my Italian side, I mean, I also grew up in, in an environment where I was Hispanic, right? Uh, I'm half Puerto Rican, and so I'd be there for summers and Christmases. And so my grandfather was in the army for 30 years. Uh, he fought in Korea two times in Vietnam. Uh, won the bronze star, multiple purple hearts. I mean, this guy's a very hardened veteran. And so he was a very, but he's also a very caring and loving grandfather. I mean, he, he was my biggest supporter in everything I, I wanted to uh, accomplish um, and was always there uh, for me. And, and he's still, he's still alive today. Um, and I, I talk to him 
every other week just to see how he's doing. And, and, and it's, it's really, it's really great to be able to have those role models in your life. And so I feel like growing up in those two environments, uh, really just put into perspective for me that I, that I needed to be able to step up to the plate. And, and, and even if things were hard, they were nowhere near as hard as what they had to go through. So it kind of puts your, your struggles into perspective. Yeah. You ever wonder, I've thought about this before, what are our grandkids going to say about our generation and our struggles? I think it's going to be interesting to see what, what they what they have to say. Uh, I think our struggles are more internal than maybe external. Yeah, much more. So I think it, I think that just being able to convey that message to them and and maybe they relate to it as well because everyone I think deals with internal struggle. Everyone deals with uh, the the kind of little voice inside their head telling them they're not good enough. And I know when I was looking for jobs, when I was working at the business right out of college. I mean that 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 voice was ever present. It was always in my head just telling me that I was insignificant, that I wasn't good enough, that no one wanted what I was providing to them. And I mean, it's a struggle that we all have to deal with. But I think that just being able to talk it through with people and and work through it, I think it's I think it helps a lot. Uh, but as back to the question of of um, what our grandkids are going to think about us. I mean, I think it's I think that there is there's something to be learned from any generation, regardless of of what they've gone through. Uh, so I think that they'll 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 benefit a lot from the stories we tell them. Yeah, they'll well, and life just keeps getting easier and better, and that's the point. At the end, sure. Then exactly. they, they'll look at us and say, "You mean you didn't have a chip installed in your brain that allow for you to look at Instagram in your eyes?" <laughs> exactly. You guys are savages. You have to I know, man. <laughs> so, but. Talk about how much are you going to address the internal struggle in your new book? Well, you know, obviously that falls under the personal development aspect. And by by the way, we could elaborate on every single chapter in the book, but I want people to go read the book. So sure um, that, but that internal struggle, maybe share a little bit about your own internal struggles and how you've dealt with them and how you've um, either tackled them or overcame them or, you know, re, uh, rechannel them into another area. So elaborate a little bit more on that. Internal struggles. Uh, there's actually a really good book on on this concept, which is, uh, have you heard of the word grit? Uh, I mean, I've heard, I've not, is that the title of the book or is that just the word grit? Cause it's the word grit, but they also, the, the title of the book is also called grit, but it's, it's written by Angela Duckworth and she's a uh, professor at the university of Pennsylvania, but she explored different characteristics that, 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 the kind of indicative uh, indicators of success in different avenues of, of life. And in one particular study that she did, she analyzed different West Point students at the beginning of their West Point career. And she tried to find indicators of what, of, of how likely they were to succeed in, in that environment, essentially graduate from, from West Point. Yeah. And she measured different things like intelligence. She measured different things like, like, athletic ability. She measured different things. I mean, there's various different factors that she analyzed, but what she found at the end of the study was that the best indicator of whether or not they were actually going to go through West Point, I mean, and West Point's a very difficult and rigorous process. I mean, it's such a structured program. You wake up at 6 a.m., you do your PT and you work, essentially your, your day's planned out for you every single day and it's very rigorous and brutal. But what she found was that the most the biggest indicator of success for those particular individuals was what they, what she called grit which is the ability to, to fight through adversity when, when it comes about. And she describes it as a marathon, not a sprint, which essentially means that being able to fight through adversity over an extended period of time is really what makes people uh, achieve a level of success in their life that they want to achieve. 
but as it as it pertains to my life, I guess uh, I've had a few instances where grit ha- had to come into play. Uh, one being when I when I graduated from college and I I decided to go full force in the business with Posticity was my the name of my business. And when I was part of the incubator, it was it was good because we were learning about essentially how to run a business, how to create a business model, how to b- make our business financially feasible. Uh, in particular, in a low margin business such as Pasta, I think it's 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 very hard to you need to essentially get a lot of volume. You need to have a lot of catering events and and make sure that these catering events are relatively large uh, because we didn't have a we didn't have a store or anything, so we couldn't sell individual products. Uh, so at the time, we were fo- really focusing on getting large catering events, and I mean. It's 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 a hard pitch sometimes when you're calling people up and saying, "Hey, how's it going?" I'm just wondering if you're looking for a pasta for 150 people. <laughs> <laughs> so like a lot of a lot of different rejection when it came to that, and and having that internal struggle of 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 really questioning whether it's something you really want to do. I mean, I love cooking and I love pasta, but it wasn't something that I was really passionate about. And I was I was meeting people in the industry that were super passionate about food and. And everything along those lines. And I just was like, I mean, I'm, I like making pasta. I'm pretty good at it, but I don't, you know, it's not my passion. It's not something that I'm meant to do. And I think one of your guests, I think Stephen Richards, the last guy you just talked about, he, he talked about how when he started working for his father's company, uh, he didn't he didn't necessarily feel like it was something that he really was passionate about. And he said he would have quit in the first week, but he knew it was his father's company and he wanted to stick around and, and, and make mm-hmm. his father proud. Um, and similar... In my situation, where I was like, "Well, you know, like I, I've, I've stuck to this, and I've, I've, I've gone to the program, so I really just need to push through it." And what I found was that after eight months, uh, it was I realized it wasn't my passion, so I kind of started looking for different opportunities. And when you come to that realization, it's a really just crushing experience because you've put in so much effort, you put in so much hard work and dedication into it, and and, and at the end, you just kind of let it go, and it's it's a really hard realization to come to. Uh, but uh, after those six months of, or actually I was looking for, for work for about four or five months. That's another kind of hard realization, kind of humble yourself is that finding a role that you may be interested in is, is very difficult. You're going to come, come through a lot of rejection. You're going to have to deal with a lot of people just telling you that you're not good enough and not good enough to be in this particular role, you know? And so, um, that was another humbling experience as well. Um, yeah. How did you, I do want to elaborate on the humbling aspect, but first, how did you start a pasta business? I've got to you ask. You got to ask. So, yeah, I've got, uh, was it just like a, hey, I grew up in Italy thing. I like pasta. And let's go from there. <laughs> kind of. I mean, not really. I mean, one of the, so I was in a fraternity in college. And so I would have fraternity brothers over sometimes just, just to hang out and stuff. And uh, whenever they come over and we were just hanging out, I'd, I'd make some pasta. So I'd make some like uh, bolognese or I'd make some like, um, uh, different different types of pastas and they were just like dude this stuff's awesome like why don't you start selling this stuff and i was like oh well i thought about it and i was like hey, well maybe i'll do it but uh one time in the summer i was i was really thinking about the idea and i started talking about it with my mom and my, my mom's my biggest supporter too i mean she's she's phenomenal and she has a very business mind she's very business savvy she's a real estate agent and she just was kind of we were throwing around the idea and how it can make it we can make it feasible and so i, I decided to start the business i incorporated the llc and then the early events were really just reaching out to different like sororities, fraternities, um, different student organizations. And I just started catering events for them. And that's how it started. Wow. So it really just came from a bunch of bros being hungry. Yep. Wow. <laughs> and it's pretty, right. it's a pretty easy sell to, to fraternities to tell them, Hey, look, we got, we got some pasta, you know, it's, it's yeah. pretty cheap. It's, it's good. And it's a lot, you get a lot for your buck. Right. 
yeah that no that makes sense so okay i'm glad i'm glad uh the reason i have to ask is when we spoke last i did i don't think you told me about that otherwise i would have brought it up earlier so when you when you said uh, early in the conversation i started a pasta business oh, i was like oh crap let me write that down and underline it um so back to back to getting humbled you know looking for a job having started a business you know having all these aspirations and goals and visions for your life and that now you know some middle management person is telling you that you suck um and and humbling you in that capacity i mean talk a little bit more about that process what how does that impact a highly driven individual such as yourself and and what are some of the the key takeaways that you you want to pass away from there so i i think one of the big takeaways is that especially when I came out of college, I thought that I, that I had learned everything I needed to know when I graduated from college that I thought it pretty much could get a job anywhere just because I had studied engineering. But in reality, I mean, there's a lot of things you have to learn and you have to grow and, and, and become in order to, to be a, a strong professional, a person who is really sought after uh, in the marketplace. And that, that's really where the hum, humbling experience came into play. Uh, we started applying to these different jobs and they're asking me all these things about these certain aspects of, of, of what the job entails that I really didn't know much about. Uh, so for example, just to give you some perspective, I was applying for different consulting roles, um, it, more technical consulting, and they would ask me different questions about different programs that, that, that I'd be utilizing on the job that I really didn't know much about. Uh, so for example, like SQL or, or Python or certain things like that. And I, I had no idea about any of those programs because I really didn't study them in college. And so, yeah, I, I was just getting pummeled in these interviews and it was it felt kind of embarrassing because i was like wow like maybe i should i don't know i just felt like maybe i wasn't good enough to be able to do that but what i did is you, you have to really just sit down and objectively look at yourself and say okay what do i need to improve and it's a hard question to ask yourself because i mean no one wants to say that they suck at something no one wants to think that they're not good enough in something but it's but it's true i mean if you if you, that's the first step of actually becoming good at something is to is to acknowledge that you need to improve and so that's, that's what I did. I mean, it, 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 it took, I swallowed the pill and just said, okay, well, what do I need to improve in order to make myself an attractive candidate to these particular, these, these different, different companies. And so that's, I did the research and I did what I had to do. And I eventually was able to land a role at a, at a software consultant company. Yeah. Well, and as guys, we don't ever want to really admit that we're not the best. There's an ego thing involved. Oh, for sure. Uh, and, um, you know, we, I had this episode a couple of weeks ago, the good ego versus the bad ego. And, that was an interesting conversation. And and that's, you know, how do you, so, so what did you change from being rejected for some jobs to being a keynote speaker at events? I mean, what was, what were some of those key things that you, that you really expanded upon? So I think one of the big ones was I was more willing to be a student, uh, which is something that is, I think, extremely important. Uh, I wasn't trying to be the person who knew it all. Um, and, and in certain situations, in particular, when you try to start your own business, uh, you, you have to be that expert, right? You have to be that person that, that has all the answers. Otherwise people won't buy from you. Like if you don't have the confidence, if you don't have the, the ability to convey a message effectively, I mean, no one's really going to buy from you. So I, I had that kind of mentality to just say, well, I have to know all the answers. I have to do all this, this in order to be able to convey my message and, and do what I need to do. But as, as a professional, you, you don't necessarily have to know all the answers. You just have to be willing to learn and grow within the organization. Um, but as far as the keynote speaking goes, uh, I was actually a terrible speaker for a long time. I was petrified of speaking. I remember my first speech was back in sixth grade. Uh, I, I couldn't speak. I, I literally got up in front of people. My palms were sweaty. My knees were like shaking. And, 
and I didn't even get any words out. I just kind of ran to the bathroom because I couldn't, I couldn't get anything out. And it was, it was, it was definitely an embarrassing experience, but, uh, I think a big reason why I started enjoying speaking was because I started attending Toastmasters and I, I started, it's a fantastic it's organization. Great. I think, I think everyone should join it and considering, considering the fact that it's really, really cheap. I mean, it's not a very cost, a very costly organization. And so I think it's phenomenal to be able to join and, and, and help. They really do help you grow as a professional, uh, as a leader, as, as someone who really is a well-rounded individual. Uh, but yeah, I started attending Toastmasters for a few years. Um, I've been in the organization two years now. And then I just started reaching out to different organizations in the community. Uh, I'd send out, that's another one of my checklist items is to send out three solicitation emails every day, which pretty much just ask organizations if they're looking for speakers. And I mean, I book, I book events all the time because they're, they're excited to have people come in and, and speak to these organizations. And I, I've, I've gotten some big events out of it too. I think just recently in April, I spoke to 2,400 students at the Kentucky Future Business Leaders of America or uh, leadership conference. Yeah. And I, I, I had like 20 minutes in front of 30 or 24, 2,400 people. And I've done different larger events as well, like the Louisville IT Symposium here in Kentucky spoke in front of like 30 to 40 people. And then they were all leaders within organizations. And I, I got different business cards to be able to come in and speak to their, to their, to their teams and stuff. So it's just putting yourself out there. Wow. That's actually a really good idea. A light bulb just went off for me. Mm-hmm. So you literally just send out emails to people saying, Hey, you need somebody to come talk to you. <laughs> that's great. Wow. I'm telling you. It's just a numbers game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yes. No hop on a train yeah. or don't. And then once you, the, the great thing is once you get in front of people, at the end of the presentation, you say, hey, if you, if you enjoy this presentation, I'm more than willing to come into your organization and speak as well. And I mean, it, they, it's unbelievable. Do they pay you for it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It- I mean, it depends, oh. it depends, on, the, it depends on the people that, that, that actually ask you to come in and speak. But corporate, corporations have budgets for people to come in and speak. Huh. That's really interesting. That's a, how did you come up with that idea? Just- so I actually have, I, have a, I, have a, I have a coach. I have multiple different coaches. So I have had coaches throughout my, my – my, uh, my career. Uh, one coach that I recently had was he, he helped me pretty much hold me accountable to write the book and help me create structures and routines in my life. Um, and then my most recent coach helped me with the publishing aspect of the book, how to market the book and how to get more speaking engagements. And he's a professional speaker. He's spoken to thousands of people or really hundreds of thousands of people across the United States. He's a best-selling author. He's, he sold over a million books. So this guy knows what he's talking about. And so he just kind of told me, he's like, hey, just you just need to get in that habit. And what he does is he has like a, a, a coin jar. And what he does is he has 10 coins that sits on his desk. And he, every time he makes a call or sends an email, he puts a coin in the jar. And by the time he has all the coins in that jar, then he's done for the day. Oh, that's actually a really cool trick to play on yourself. There's been, uh, there's just been so many different avenues that we could go down. I feel like we're going to have to do a part two at some point. Uh maybe even elaborate on your next book once you once you release it. But one of the questions I always like to end the interview with is if you could go back to a younger version of yourself, maybe 18 years old or whatever age group you want to pick, what would you, knowing all that you know now and knowing all that you know about yourself, what would you tell the younger you? That's a great question. I, I, I noticed you asked that on a few of your podcasts. Well, actually all your podcasts that I, that I listen to. But uh, I, I'd, I'd tell myself that number one, start building your online presence right now. So like I kind of wish if I was 18 years old and I started doing a YouTube channel or or just getting out there, whether whether it's blogging or or even writing a book at 18, I think that would have pr- 
like propelled my career into a the stratosphere by the time I'm 27 as of now. Uh, the second thing I would say was probably set three daily goals. Um, they don't have to be huge. Uh, they, they can be just really small, but getting to that habit of, of like we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, which is more the compound effect um, is, is extremely beneficial. And I, I would, I would be interested to see where I'd be today if I had implemented that strategy when I was 18. Uh, and finally, I'd say it's okay to be yourself. Like don't beat yourself up about all the things that these expectations that you're, you're trying to live up to. I, like I mean, that. you're, you're, you're a good person. You, you're, you're hardworking, you're driven and you're going to be okay. Yeah. I like that a lot. Well, and I like how you, you basically gave a, uh, a career as in build your, build your platform suggestion and then a personal development suggestion and then a internal struggle suggestion I like that. Well, this was this was a, a pleasure. I'm glad we I'm glad we could get together. Talk about randomly reaching out to people. I just sent you a message on LinkedIn and said, "Hey, you want to talk?" So that that's just a uh, you know just a just a piece of advice for anybody listening. You never know how you can make new friends. But you know how can people follow you? How how can people get a hold of you? Uh, talk a little bit about your book. This is your opportunity to plug whatever you'd like to plug. Sure. Uh, so as was mentioned at the beginning of the the podcast, uh, I'm an author. I'm a coach. I'm a speaker. Uh, I have been doing this for the last few years. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to mention is that actually the Millennial Playbook, I can send you a link, but it, I, I'm offering it for free for a limited time on ebook. So if you're interested in downloading the book, I'd, I'd highly encourage you to do that. I think there's a lot of strategies in there that would really benefit uh, you and, and, and different aspects of your life. Uh, like was mentioned, my, my book, The Nine Secrets Living a Rich Life is, is going to be coming out uh, here soon in the next few weeks. So I'll, I'll keep everyone posted on that, the progress. Uh, if, if you're interested in following me, I, I, my big, my big uh, platform is LinkedIn. Uh, you can kind of look at, find me at Rafael Collazo. If you just type in my name, I should be one of the first uh, individuals that pop up. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty much my plug, I guess. Uh, and I'll make sure to put all that information in the show notes as well. So the links to your uh, LinkedIn, the, the ebook, everything. So um Rafael, it was it was a pleasure. I'm glad we got to got to chat a little bit more in, in detail. And I think, you know, like I said, I always take notes on conversations and there's some key things that I've taken notes on. And, and I know people are, are taking a lot out of this. So I look forward to continuing the conversation at some later point. And, you know, for everybody listening again, as always, share the episode. Um, if you've got questions, concerns, articles you want me to read, people you want me to interview, whatever. MillennialManhoodCIP at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, on Instagram, wherever wherever you'd like to get a hold of me. But outside of that, we uh, we hope you guys have a good rest of your day, and we'll we'll talk to you soon.